Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. So welcome to this podcast where I have the lovely pleasure of speaking to Michelle Loder, (laughs) who is the Managing Director of Fisher Leadership. I first met Michelle when she was the CEO of Chandler McLeod Group. She's also been the CEO of AHS Hospitality. And we also know each other through the International Women's Forum, where Michelle was the founding director of the International Women's Forum chapter in Australia and the vice president. So welcome, Michelle, to the program. Thank you. (laughs) Great to be here. Yes, it's great to see you again. So you have recently changed um, from, you left uh, CEO Chandler McLeod, was that a 18 months ago, two years yeah, ago, two years. Yeah, and you've two been years. doing your sort of own thing for a while, but has recently become the managing director of Fisher Leadership, which is great. So we were talking just before, and you know, this podcast is on authentic leadership. How have you found, I mean, you're, you're my, one of the most authentic people I know, <laughs> but how have you found the, I guess the difference in leadership between managing a large, you know, group of 40,000 people to, to a much smaller company. Yeah, uh, it's been an interesting transition, actually. Um, I've been working for around 20 years now, and I've been lucky enough after, after 10 years and then um, at about the 20-year mark to take a one-year career break. Um, and that's worked really well for me in terms of resetting what next looks like. Um, but it is a big transition to come from a, a team of people spread across seven countries. Um, I think we had about 38,500 on mm. our team when I, um, when I finished at Chandler McLeod. And um, now we've got a team of kind of 40 and a group of associates. We've probably come into uh, contact with 20 or so associates a year as well. So um, it means I know everyone a lot better. Mm. Um, it means that I understand people's stories and um, personal priorities in a different way. Um, and it just means you connect um, with the outside world probably a lot more than you do with the inside world. Yeah. What is, I mean, we, I mean, this is all around authentic leadership and being real and being true to yourself. What, what does it mean to you to be, you know, an authentic leader? Um, probably the main thing that jumps out is just knowing yourself mm-hmm. and being at comfort with that. Um, I think that's really, it's kind of really centering when you know and understand who you really are. And my last gap year um, has really helped me with that, really given me some time to, to reflect on that. Um, I suppose as a young leader, I always felt really empowered. Um, I've always had quite a high level of confidence. I've always felt like I had a power, if you know what I mean. Um, but as you, I've matured and started to really know myself, um, I think I've realised how important it is to be true to yourself mm. and to just know what you're good at, know what you're not good at um, and be comfortable with that. So be okay to be vulnerable, for it mm. to be all right to feel rubbish about something or to you know feel shame or hurt um, or um, pride or whatever emotion it is and not turn away from that because when you can really live in your own vulnerability and really know what you're great at, and really know what you're not great at, 
you do find, I find a quiet comfort mm. um, and that's where I do my best work. Yeah. That's where I'm the best friend, I'm the best leader, I'm the best mum, I'm the best wife, um, you know, I'm the best advisor. I feel like when you really know yourself, you, you become hard to denigrate. It's really hard to cut you down when you know yourself well enough because mm. no one can take that away from yeah. you. And so it's sort of like having a quiet power. Yeah. Do, um, do you think those insights can only come through experience and, you know, the I guess the wisdom of getting older. But um, I, I just find a lot of leaders say that as they've got older, that you often hear, as I've got older or as yeah. I've got more experienced, I've become more vulnerable. I've, I've, um, so I'm just wondering, like, you know, could, could, a 20, could the 25-year-old you be this wise? Um, I definitely wasn't this wise at 25. Mm. Um I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof at 10, 25. You've you shrunk then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think what the quiet comfort does is it helps you move from being reactive to being creative. Yeah. Um, and I am extremely curious by nature. Um, but when you get into a creative space, so when you're not being reactive because you're comfortable with yourself, you get into a creative space, you start to collaborate. Um, mm. And one of my favourite kind of things about leadership right now is I think um, partnership is the new leadership so when I think about that I know myself really well I know my strengths and I know what I'm good at I'm really clear about what success looks like then I know who to collaborate with and how to collaborate with them for us all to be successful and I and I think in this changing world that we're in um, and in the future workspace that I work in if I'm not collaborating with as many of the right people um, as I can we're not going to move forward together yeah. fast enough. So, so what do you think is driving this partnership as, you know, partnership of new leadership? Is it technology? Is it the younger generations wanting a greater voice? What, what do you think is driving it? Um, yeah, I think just the reality of, of the pace of change. Um, technology has enabled the world to move so quickly now and change um, adoption to occur at such, you know, such a rapid pace that you, no one can keep up, no individual can keep up, many organisations can't keep up. So I kind of um, adopted this partnership philosophy um, a few years back when I realised how fast everything was changing and I knew um, I would go into a tailspin and not actually achieve anything if I didn't partner with the right people. Um, I suppose it also comes back to knowing what success looks like for you when you're clear about what you're trying to achieve the fastest path home is to surround yourself with the best people, you know. Um, Have you always been clear on what success looks like for you, for you as an individual or for you, and for the companies you've led? No. <laughs> no? No, so far from it. Life's kind of been, um, um, both my personal and my professional life has sort of been like a, a passageway full of doors um, and I'm just happy to open the next one and work out what's behind it and run on down the passage. Um, I've always kind of had the philosophy of say yes now, work out how later, um, and that's worked for and against me. Um, but no, I've never really had a long-term plan. And, and I even—I mean, now one of the things that I do is advise in strategy, mm-hmm. um, and I'm constantly talking to people about how far out in front they can be looking um, because the pace of change is so, so quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Richard Branson has a quote similar to that, that just say yes to everything and then figure out how you're going to do it later, which is... Could lead to some exciting stuff, I could yeah. imagine. Well, it does. It means that you kind of um, 
you know, you need to have a risk lens over everything that you do, but it means that the risk lens kind of often takes a back seat. Um, that's why you need to make sure you have good governance around yeah. you. Cool. <laughs> so just um, on, on the whole authentic leadership and, you know, staying true to who you are, there must be times where that's been challenged. Like the, there's either people you admire that do it or even yourself where it's been challenging for you to do. And got any examples of that? Yeah, uh, look, I take my influence from so many places. Yeah. Um, and I'm a, I'm a real believer in um, kind of dual mentoring. I don't think we learn from people and they don't learn from us mm. and vice versa. Um, so I think, I mean, there's so many amazing leaders and world-changing leaders that have gone before us. And most of those have been successful in what we talked about before in finding, you know, creativity in their vulnerability um, and and not needing their power to be um, ahead of anyone else's. But, you know, how can you look past someone like Bill and Melinda Gates? Um, mm. and, and when you think about partnerships, and that's a personal partnership, but when you think about what those two do and how real they keep it um, and they solve problems way ahead of the curve with generosity and care at the heart of everything that they do... Um, but I've been really lucky, particularly through IWF, to be exposed to a lot of women on the international stage and a lot of leaders on the international stage. Um, not so long ago, um, I caught up with Pam Malroy. I don't know if you know Pam. She's a NASA astronaut. Oh, okay. Um, and she's one of the most authentic people you'll ever meet, right? Um, but what she does is she combines her systems thinking and her background um, and connects it with what tomorrow's leadership needs to look like. So people like Pam who are just sort of breaking out ahead of the field using these amazing, unique backgrounds of taking crews into space mm -hmm. and then making that real for people back on the ground. Um, you know, and there's other amazing leaders like Simone Wilkie who does that too. Um, she's recently retired from being a major general in um, the Defence Force here in Australia. Um, you know, she's gone to battle and read, led a team of people in Afghanistan on the front line. Um, and now she uses her skills outside in the AFL, you know, doing amazing work with AFL women leaders. Um, so I think we're surrounded by people um, who are doing this in business, but they're also doing it, you know, and, and making the intersection of business and social come together. And Alan Joyce comes to mind when I think about mm. that um, and what he's done financially and culturally. Um, within within his business, um, he truly understands the cat the shadow that he casts, yeah, and he knows how to use that effectively and impactfully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think leaders who are able to keep it real can actually make a massive difference financially and culturally yeah. um, within their organisations. And I can keep listing names. I yeah. could do that for an hour. Well, well, talking about Alan, I mean, he, I mean, he took a very active role as CEO of Qantas for the um, same-sex marriage. Yeah. What's, what's your sort of thoughts on CEOs doing that, taking a stronger role and a very outspoken role on yeah. social issues? Um. Uh, look, my short answer is that I think it's important for all leaders. Um, so my short answer is yes, yeah. they should. Um, but I think it's a bigger topic because I think we t what we talked about before, the technology and the pace that the world is moving at, we are always on now, right? We're mm. always available. Our works never stop. Our lives outside of work never stop. So for me, work and life have always been integrated. Um, but when I think about work and life being integrated and social issues and, and our community responsibility, 
I think what we're lucky enough now is that a lot of leaders are going into roles that they love. Um, and so for me, I'm in a job where my head and my heart combine. I'm clear about what we're here to do, but I love what we're here to do as well. Um, and that enables me to take a stance on the social issues that are relevant to work, but they're also relevant to me personally. And I think um, executive wellness is such an important topic for us here in Australia. Um, but I think if, if as leaders we can be authentic enough with ourselves to do work we love and we believe in, um, and that we know we're good at as well, the community will win, our businesses will win, and our families and our lives will win as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are you seeing... I, I sort of feel there's a push to that. Are you seeing in, in the work you do that there's a real push for those senior executives making better choices around I'm doing work, like work that I love and work that it's meaningful? Yeah, um, we actually see ourselves as having a responsibility for helping executives in this space. Um, We think um, from an employee kind of safety and wellbeing perspective that most organisations do it quite well at mainstream employee level or line staff level. Um, Very few people have a genuine commitment to executive wellness Mm -hmm. um, and really looking after their executives. And we're doing a lot of work in that space at the moment. helping organisations and boards understand how to care for their executive and their management. Um, But I think there's great leaders leading the way in that space as well. Um, Someone I didn't mention before was Quinton Bryce, you know, who has... um, And there's just so much to love about her. Um, um, And I relate to the fact that she's come from... You know, she's raised in regional Queensland and um, she's kind of a girl of the land. um, And... Someone like me, who is a girl of the land, looks up to leaders like her who've gone before us, um, who are now using a lifetime of experience to make social change. You know, she has uh, the environment at the front of everything that she's doing now, and she's using her influence to change policy. Um, so that's about combining your head and your heart yeah. to make a real difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so if leaders aren't taking social issues into consideration, I'm not sure who is. Yes, yeah, it's a good point, it's a good point. Um, you, you touched on executive wellness before, uh, if we could just want to ask you a question about that too, because I, I've noticed, you know, a lot of work I do with organisations, there seems to be a lot of support, you know, we're constantly going through restructures and mm. there seems to be a lot of support for the people who are leaving the organisation. There doesn't seem to be a lot of support for the senior leaders that are there, you know, having those conversations all the time. And um, I, I think it's actually a real issue that's going to get bigger and bigger. And I think some people go, well, that's what they get paid for, but they're still human beings that have to deal with these, um, not only what they're going through, but absorbing all the, um, you know, emotion that their people are going through. Yeah. Um, look, it's such an important topic. The, the executive... Um, level, if you will, in our country um, is really well remunerated. You know, whether we are now officially the highest paid um, people in the world um, here in our country, um, and executives are remunerated well. There are big expectations that come with them for that. You know, and if we are not creating environments where people can bring their whole of self to work, and we're not creating environments where people we enable people to be the best they can be, which includes mental and physical wellness. Um, then we're all going to lose out. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've just finished a, a piece of research on this exact topic and, and we're taking new products to market for that 
for that reason, we want to partner with boards and organisations to help them care for their executives in a different way. And we think that that will help their executives care for um, their team in a different way and their team care for their clients and customers in a different way and, and around it goes. Um, I think we've seen, a, we've seen too much um, at board level in Australia in recent years, disappointingly, of people needing to have a personal experience for them to yeah. then put it on their radar. You know, I realised when my daughter turned 18 and she wasn't turned like treated like everyone else that that I needed to take a voice on gender Mm. um I wish we lived in a world where people didn't have to have the personal experience for them to then own that um and lead in that way but it is kind of a human reality as well so the faster um we can get those stories and those experiences to people, I think the more impactful the change can be. Yeah, absolutely. They, they say experience is the best teacher. Um, Storytelling is the second best teacher. So you're right. It, let's not wait um, for executives to have these wellness problems because they until they take advantage of it. Yeah. What, what would you um, say is the hardest part of your role? Oh, getting everything done. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just... Uh, I have a very strong bias for action, um, but my creative mind can get away with me, um, and I feel like uh, in the board and executive space, which is where we work, um, there is so much positive impact we can have. I really feel like we can make a difference to the individuals, the teams, and the organisations, and so I just want to do it all now um, and make it happen. So that's probably the hardest thing for me, is being realistic about what um, is humanly possible, um, but then that makes me want to exacerbate the partnership so we can impact better and faster. Do you think that's more frustrating for you or for the t- team you lead? No, they <laughs> love it. Oh, they, they love, love it. it. Okay, I might check they with them on the way out. You can. <laughs> um, so uh, part of these interviews I'd like to sort of delve in and ask a few more personal questions and mm. move off um, the topic of authentic leadership, and I guess it's about authentic leadership. But um, if you could change one thing about yourself, what, what would it be, do you think? Uh, I think I'd change every single day. Um, <laughs> I have a six and a seven-year-old daughters, and um, if nothing else keeps it real in my life, they do. Yeah. Um, but every single day, I talk to them about learning something new, you know, um, and their father is just has this incredible yearning for learning. He's a lifetime learner if I ever met one. Um, and so I guess in our house we have this just just one more thing each day. Yeah. Um, you know, just learn to read one more word, learn to learn to ride without the training wheels, whatever it might be. Uh, for me, this morning, um, both my kids got up early and one of them requested a French braid. Um, and As you do. So thank What's God your skills for Google. Like on French braid. <laughs> Um, and now I can inside braid and outside braid. Um, so for me, it's just what's one more thing every single day. You are look at that super parent, just <laughs> just doing it, learning how to do a French braid before you step into to the office. Um, so while we're on that, like you, you've got two two young daughters. Mm. So when you're not at work, like what do you like? What do you love doing? What's your wind down, or what do you just love doing? Yeah, it's um, being with my family, I think. Um, So my husband, Russ, and the two girls um, spend a lot of time together. um, And 
I just I feel envious every day that um, if I miss something or that I can't be there. Um, although I tend to be as deliberate about personal appointments as I am about work ones. Um, so if I say I'm going to be there, I will absolutely make a priority of doing that. Um, but probably just, you know, snuggling with my kids in, in the bed in the morning is the most delightful way. Everyone in my house is up before 6am um, every day. And um, so I love, the, I love the girls jumping into bed and telling me about their day before and what they're going to do ahead. Um, but we, we love the coast. And so there's nothing better than the four of us throwing our towels and the surfboards um, into the trolley and walking down to the beach um, leaving our technology at home and just spending time on the beach together, the four of us, um, you know, the girls are learning to surf and that's fun and um, and you get out there in the water and, and in the sand and um, that's just kind of our space. Yeah, cool. I've often had people say, oh, you know, enjoy the snuggles because they'll reach a stage where they don't want them and I think that can happen but my youngest daughter who turns 16, like, you know, very soon, yeah. she still... Every mum, she has snuggle and then, you know, we wake up and if I don't go in and have a snuggle with her in the morning, she'll go, well, but, but I was waiting for you. So I don't, I don't know whether that's just a, you know, a cop out. She wants to sleep in and blames me, but <laughs> she was still, and if I don't, if I forget, she'll come and jump in, in my bed yeah. and it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and of course you went, so when you left CEO Channel and Cloud, you had a, a year off and you did some pretty pretty cool traveling around with the family didn't you yeah we did actually um we uh, we headed off we started off in london or oh, dubai actually for a week and then we headed to london to um we like uh, the horse racing and we headed off to ascot um but then we did a we sailed from barcelona down the french and italian coast down to to malta um and we came back home through Germany for a friend's wedding. So the four of us travel really well together. Yeah. Um, and and I also spent a lot of time that year kind of researching the future of work and um, what next looked like. Um, and um, I was chair of the uh, International Women's Forum you were, um, you were. Uh, conference here in Australia. So... Yes, some would call it a gap year and some would say it was it was kind of a um, just a refresh, I yeah. suppose, for yeah. what was next for me. Absolutely. Oh, you mentioned something just before I wanted to go back to about how you're, you're still pretty, um, you know, you prioritise personal commitments as, as much as professional ones. Yeah. From a, just a pure logical perspective, mm -hmm. is that you put them in your diary? Like yeah, you're literally absolutely. Because I'd imagine someone is managing your diary, so it is things like dinner with the kids, pick up with the kids, gym, whatever it is, You all that goes in your diary? Yeah, um, you know, and not to within an inch of my yeah. life. Yeah. Um, but if I need to... Um, Ruby's playing basketball tomorrow night at 4.30 and I want to be there. Mm -hmm. So I'll just put that in my diary just to make sure no one schedules something else in there. Um, I've, I fortunately only have about a 10-minute commute from home to work. So if I need to get to something and get back in, um, I can. But technology really supports and enables us to do things so flexibly now. Um, and we have a really strong commitment to attracting diversity to our business um, and attracting you know particularly cognitive diversity to here and that means for us we have to make sure we are a flexible enough environment to enable all types of people to work here yeah. um, so presenteeism is not a big thing for us mm -hmm. um, with regularity so uh, it means I can be where I need to be to do what I need to do yeah. um, 
Yeah, no good. I just, I just raise that because, um, you know, often people say, but I, you know, I like to, but I get too busy. It was like put it in your diary, like especially because, otherwise, your diary is being filled with other people's priorities and and not yeah. yours and not your family. Yeah, and I think it's sort of a cop out too. Yeah. Um, but you never want. I mean, I never want to have a full diary. I mm. never want. Because my team, everyone can see my diary, um, so everyone can see when they, you know, need to catch me about something. So you never want to be too busy that you can't think mm. um, or you can't um, ideate about what next might look like, particularly when your job is change. Yeah. Um, so if we were simply task oriented and we had jam packed diaries every day, um, we could never lead the way. Yeah. Mm. One of the things I love asking people about if they've got a favourite quote that sort of. Um, leads them or guides them or they just refer back to um at any point of time mm-hmm. so um because i love a good quote i've always got quotes going on what do you have one at all or? um i probably not one that i stick to you come up with your own a few don't you yeah, yeah. i don't mind the old <laughs> the old um quote that i own myself <laughs> but uh, probably one of the ones that has been really relevant for me recently is you know the person who makes a mistake and doesn't correct it is making another mistake. Yeah. Um, and that's just really relevant for us for what we do right now. Um, it's also relevant for that vulnerability point we talked about before and and just that lifelong learning. Mm. Um, we just don't... No one's going to get it right all the time, um, but I think the fear of failure paralyses so many people from doing things. So I like that quote because it keeps front of mind that if you have a crack at something and it doesn't go right for you, that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, so long as we fall forward together, um, it's okay to fall. Yep. Um, another and I one. tell my kids I that. I like that. I was going to say, you know, and I'd <laughs> imagine if it, that's your leadership style, it's your parenting style, oh. it's, it's okay to fall. Um, but when we do, let's fall together or fall, you know, yeah. learn from it. Oh, and it's hard to find a balance, right, because I yeah. like winning. Yeah. Um, and... Achieving success really matters, is a real driver for me. Um, so, but one of the things that we do with our kids is try to explain to them that getting it wrong is simply part of getting it right. Um, and so if you just There's make another it, quote you've got, like if you just make it part of the process, you could make a calendar out of all these quotes you're Maybe coming up with. <laughs> Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Now you also are one of my ambassadors to Jargon Free Friday, which mm. is um, a fun way to raise awareness to what I think is a pretty serious problem in uh, communication in business: our addiction to jargon and unnecessary use of acronyms. Um, do you, do you have some that when you hear you just go, oh, please stop? <laughs> <laughs> Probably no particular ones, but uh, I went to Canberra recently and I feel like, um, you know, Canberra is kind of jargon central because um, you fly in and from the second you land, everyone you walk past in the airport, sit within the lounge, go to a meeting, like you, there, there almost should be a dictionary for Canberra. Um, for Canberra jargon because the acronyms are just flying at you. Um, And so I was there recently and I went to a meeting and I think I captured 32 um, acronyms in the meeting and I I came out with a person who I was with and said, I don't even know what these mean. Are they, you know, and there might be anything from a disease all the way through to... A bit of technology. uh, Yeah. yeah. But it's extraordinary... um, the multi-use of acronyms. Yeah. Um, but also, it's just, you really don't feel like you're part of a conversation mm. when the jargon is there. Um, 
So I think there's there's some jargon that makes sense um, and there's some that is just marginalising for people and just leaves people out. Um, so if we're serious about inclusivity and we're serious about hearing everyone's voice, everyone needs to be able to understand. You know? yeah. We need to speak a language that yeah. people understand. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot of work offshore and when you work in countries that where English is, you know, a second language um, or one of the main languages, it can be really hard to be in a meeting um, where translation is happening. Um, I worked for a Japanese company and when I went to do my induction in Japan, they put the, you know, United Nations headpiece on you and they walk, you walk around this 18-storey building and they introduce you to a whole lot of people and your translator is walking behind you and your host is walking beside you speaking in a language you don't understand and your earpiece is telling you what they're saying. So there's this kind of slight delay. Yeah. Um, and so if you make a joke, which I'm occasionally <laughs> prone to doing... You have to then wait for the translator to translate it into the other person's ear and then for this delayed reaction yeah. to what you said. Um, and that's what jargon feels like to me. Yeah. It feels like someone who's speaking a language you can't understand and you, you kind of <laughs> only catch half of it. So I don't have a particular one, but um, we should stamp it out. We should, yeah. I, I often talk about, you know, it's, a, it's the unnecessary use of it and um, the word acronym only came into the English dictionary in 1943. Right. And the reason it came in in the 1940s is because it was widely used during the World War because they would start using acronyms. So when communication was intercepted by the enemy, the enemy couldn't understand it. So I, I talk about this in my training. And so like, think about that for a second. We are using this default language of acronyms that was invented to, for miscommunication. So no one, and, ah. and we've decided, somehow we've decided, that that's an efficient way to communicate, and it's clearly not. <laughs> um, anyway, a few, a few more final little questions I want to ask you. These are, these are the real tough ones. Yep. The tough questions of right, the interview. Yeah. Give it to me. Because um, I love cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the one meal you love cooking, you go to? Um, so you love cooking, I love my husband's cooking. <laughs> you know, I normally joke that this is the tough question, but in this instance, it's, it probably is. <laughs> Occasionally, um, my daughter said to me the other day, Mum, there's something you're really good at cooking. I just can't think of it right now. And she wasn't trying to be smart, but it came across, um, it came across, um, quite humorously um my husband's a great cook so i don't get to the kitchen a lot but um nothing goes past a good lamb roast for me ah good yes i think when i was at your dinner once many years ago your husband cooked a lamb roast <laughs> bless him. Bless him. excellent good okay another tough question mm-hmm. what's your favorite 80s song or artist Ooh. i'm trying to guess but um, you know what I've got to say my favourite song would probably be from the 80s, Dancing on the Ceiling, Lionel Richie. Richie. Um, For two reasons. One, because I like to turn it upside down. Um, (laughs) And two, because my husband and I and friends of ours went to a day on the green with Lionel Richie and um, I remember having a very good... um, Boogie between the vineyards to um, to dancing on the ceiling, um, and Lionel Richie was kind of ahead of his time too. It's pretty cool. I remember seeing him in Melbourne when uh, it must be like twenty five when when he was big about twenty five years ago, um, mm. maybe even before that. Yeah, I think the um, 
the video clip of Dancing on the Ceiling's worth a rerun for you. You okay, probably yeah, should have a probably look at that. Thanks. I'll put that on. It was up in the big red car. <laughs> Good you even know the video clips down excellent that's a good one final one if you could give one piece of advice to your 20 year old self what would it be uh start before you're ready good i've never been ready for anything that i've done and i'm still not sure that i'm ready any day um, for for what i go to do but i can't encourage people enough to have a go um and to just get started. There's another quote for the calendar that you're going to produce start before you're ready. Michelle, thank you so much. This has been a blast talking to you and um, good luck with everything you're trying to achieve. Uh, you know, you're doing amazing stuff um, and the, the executive wellness thing I think is a, you know, a really important topic that, that someone needs to take control of and take the lead on and if uh, there's no better person than you that's going to shake things up a bit so thank you for being part of it and good luck with everything thank you great to see you we hope you have enjoyed this podcast in the authentic leadership series visit the resource library on gabrielle's website to access a collection of free material on business storytelling and thought leadership